Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this message. Good morning. My name is Donnell Jones. Welcome all of you here, especially our guests. Uh, today we begin a new series called Go. And Go begins with God. It's been uh, said that the first two letters in God are Go. So we are going to focus the entire month on what it means to go for God. Go does not begin with the church. Um, It does not begin with us. It actually begins with God. And so we're going to start with him. I want to talk um, from Matthew chapter 28 and also Luke chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, it'll appear on the screen if you want to follow along. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father, I'm so grateful for a moment to be together with you. And may we receive inspiration and instruction from you about your love for us in this world in which we live. So good. Um, Go begins with God, as I said. And we're reading a book, our staff. At some point, the entire church will read it this fall. It's called um, Ministry in the Image of God. It's a great book, Ministry in the Image of God, the Trinitarian Shape of Ministry. And um, the author, Stephen Siemens, is a theologian, but he is theoretically or theologically practical. And so there's great access in how he talks. So some of what I share today comes from reading what he wrote, which is all taken from the Bible. And the point he makes in his last chapter about passionate mission is so good. Because he, he really makes it plain that mission doesn't really start with the church. Mission starts with God. Um, our church has a mission statement. Uh, our mission is to connect people to Jesus and equip people to go for Jesus. That's our mission. But when I think about this passage uh, that I just read, when I think about uh, a speaker at a previous conference we were at, He said something. He says, um, God's mission has a church. And it just turned it on it for me. It's like, it's not just that the mission has a church. It's that the church is God's mission. We are his mission. And we're part of that mission to influence the world in which we live. And so God uh, from eternity, when you talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God himself um, expresses Uh, love, meaning from God the Father to the Son and the Holy Spirit, from God the Son to the Father and the Spirit, from God the Spirit to the Father and the Son. There's this eternal love that has been going on before the creation of the world. So it's not that God was ever lonely. Did you grow up like me hearing like the reason why God created all mankind is because he was lonely and he wanted someone to share the love with? I, I believe that. I don't know where I started believing it, but I don't believe that anymore. Somewhere I realized God, the love among the Godhead 
the Father-Son is eternal love. It's a self-giving love. It's a self-sacrificial uh, love. It's a love that's turned toward others. And it's so different from the love of man because the fall of man, which we won't unpack here, but the, the, the cataclysmic shift is that we have been turned in on ourselves. And so instead of being self-giving, we're self-centered. Even though we do more good and less bad, at the core of it, in our sin nature, it's still about us. Where God never makes it about him, it's always about others. So it's the Father always about the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's the Son who's going toward the Father and the Spirit. It's the Spirit who's going toward the Father and the Son. And this eternal love is going on. And so we see God being the first missionary and going outside himself to create mankind. He's the first missionary. He created us. That's the going out of the Trinity to create us. Aren't you glad God just said, hey, let's go beyond us? Uh, you you, you yeah. don't really. It's just kind of one of those. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, if, if he doesn't go outside himself to create, we're not here. So all the experiences and everything, none of that, none of that happens. He was fine all by himself. And so here's God going out of himself to create us. That's God the Father. And then he sends the Son for the purpose of salvation, to redeem us and to save us through his uh, death, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his exaltation back to heaven. And then you have the Father and the Son going by sending the Holy Spirit to create and empower a church that's growing on the go. And so when you read Matthew 28 and you hear Jesus saying to the disciples, the 11 who were there, save Judas, Uh, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. We could almost read it and think that's the beginning of going. But God has always been going from all eternity. We just get to join with him. And so the writer of this passage, his name is Matthew, who is hearing this mandate to go and make disciples, which comes following an earlier three and a half year moment where he started to follow. And so with God, he first says, follow me. And then he says, go for me. The following him is is when we are the called out ones. He called us out of the world. Remember where God found you before you knew him and somehow you were introduced to him. And he, he showed up on your job or he showed up in your family. He showed up where you were at camp. I don't know where you were when God showed up, but do you remember the moment you first recall God showing up? It probably wasn't the first time he showed up, but it was the first time you recognized it was him and you responded to the call to come to him and to follow him. And so that is the beginning of this relationship, following him. We use words like discipleship or Christian, but at its core, it's really following God. And so once you follow him, the called out ones, as you begin to follow him, then he, you become part of the sent out ones, right? You don't just follow him to sit here on Sunday. You become part of his mission and part of what he's doing all over the world. And then he sends you out. Every one of us, not just those who are pastors or elders or deacons or whatever, but every person who follows him is called out and all of them are then sent out. And so Matthew's an example of someone who was called out and then uh, sent out, called out of the world and then on mission with God and sending. So uh, I'll read about Matthew in a little bit, but this whole story about God being everywhere and on mission going. So probably the first year of our marriage, um, I remember we got invited to Disney World because uh, Marianne, my wife, her, her close friend, maid of honor, was in management with Disney. And so she said, you should, uh, you should come down and hang out. So we got to go. And you know how Disney says, be our guest, be our guest. 
we were there, but we weren't guests. We were more like cast members because we got to go behind the scenes and really see where the Disney magic comes from. So we'll be in Florida next week back there at the World Conference. And uh, so we got to go back door and see all the characters and everything that was happening. And I've had all these questions. And then we'd go to another park and I'd had all these questions about how systems run. And it's like, man, Disney has got it going on how they make all this happen. So we were, we were uh, going from park to park. And one of those moments, I, I was doing pretty good to ask all my questions when we were behind the scenes. I didn't ask those questions when we were out in Magic Kingdom or Epcot or wherever we were. But I got so enmeshed in it all that I forgot where I was when I was starting to ask certain questions. So we were on the monorail going from Magic Kingdom to some other park. And Angie's sitting there with me and Mary, and there's all these families with their kids, and it's this great Disney moment. I said, Angie, this is amazing. Every park we go to, Mickey's there. Like, like he's, he's at Magic Kingdom. He's at Epcot. He's at Animal. There's like no park. He's appearing everywhere. So in my mind, I'm starting to try to figure out, how does he make all these appearances? And so I asked her, I said, how many? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and as I got it out, Angie, slow motion. She looked at me and she was so stern, her finger came out. She said, there is one Mickey Mouse. I said, yeah, 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 I figured there was. I figured there was. Little kids, confused. What she said, what? I'm like, okay, going back to eating their ice cream. All that's right with the world. She looked at me, don't you, don't ask me any more crap. Like, good, you know, put my hand on my mouth. <laughs> but but it, it hit me. Disney World. It's Mickey's world. And he's everywhere. And he's appearing to people over in this park, in this park, in this place. There's nowhere you can go where Mickey's not. He's on the go everywhere. But then I was thinking about this series, and I thought, I'm not talking about Disney anymore. This is God's world, and he is on mission everywhere. There's no place you can go where he is not already there on mission. And when he's there on mission, he's saying, come, follow me. And as you begin to follow him and accept that invitation, then he says, go with me to where he already has been. So I want you to know, even next week as we're going to be in Orlando and at the World Conference, we have over 80 countries representing that will be just there for that week. But that's what God has been engaged in all along throughout the world. So he's already on mission in Europe. He's in Paris right now. He's in London right now. He's on mission in Africa right now. He's in Nigeria. Anybody from Nigeria in the house? Anybody, right? I, I, you can't miss if you start with Nigeria. One out of every five colored people are from Nigeria, right? He's on mission in Nigeria. He's in Lagos. I've been there and it's amazing. He's on mission uh, in, in Asia right now. He's in Japan. He's in anybody from Japan, anybody from Asia. I'll just go Asia. Anybody. Where, where are my Asia folk? Come on, make some noise, Asia. Yell out, yell out something in your native tongue. Malaking pa'a. Okay, I helped you. Uh, he's, he's on mission. We'll go back to Europe. He's in London. Any, any European Americans in here? Anybody from Paris, London, all those places? Make some noise. Thank you, somebody. Canada, in the house. South America, you're from both places, okay? North America, 
Is that where you're really from or did you move here, right? So, how'd you get here? So, we're from all over. There's no nation where he's not presently on mission. Can I tell you, I know we all have individual mission purpose for our life, but it's all tied to the overarching mission. And if your mission doesn't tie into his mission, then you're spending time and you may be productive without being fruitful. Because I don't know how fruitful you can be apart from him. Because he says, apart from me, you can bear no fruit. Not saying you can't be productive. I don't think those things necessarily mean the same thing. They ought to, but they don't. Some in this room are highly productive, but God didn't call you just to be productive. He called you to be fruitful. And it's not a play on words. But this idea that individually we're all tied into mission, and it matters not who you are or where you are. It's understanding where he he found you, where he called you to follow him, and then he has you on mission to go for him, collectively as a church, individually as one of his followers. So here's Matthew's experience with him. And this is from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 31. But I encourage you to read beyond verse 31 so that you really get sort of what's happening in this moment. Some of this will be familiar to you, but but it's important that we understand it uh, in our own, for ourselves, and what this means to us. So Matthew is the one who was writing what we just read about Jesus giving them the Great Commission, about Jesus being poured out on the cross, and then the Holy Spirit was poured out after that to create and empower the church to go on mission. So here's how it started with one man, and maybe think about how it started with you. So after this, Jesus went out. Do you see that? He went out. He's going right there. You'll read the scriptures and realize he's actually always on the go. There are places he'd go and people like, stay. He's like, I can't stay. It's for this reason that I came. To what? To go. He's always on go. So it says he went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Now, Levi is Matthew. They're one and the same. So when we read Matthew chapter 28, this is the same guy, except Luke, who was a contemporary, is writing about the beginning of the relationship that Matthew had with Christ. So every time you hear Levi, just think uh, Matthew. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I love how he responds to people. So here's the moment. Jesus left one moment, and it was remarkable. When he goes out from that moment, he shows up at Matthew's place of employment. It's just that practical. Jesus is not just showing up on Sundays in the place of worship. He's showing up in the marketplace. He's at this man's job. Some of you actually first encounter God while you were at work, not in a worship context like this. But I want you to just hear that, that he's showing up. He's at the car dealership. He's at the World Bank. He's at whatever your corporation or he's at your school. He's at your university. He's in the military. There's no place you can go where he's not showing up. So it's not just about coming here. It's about understanding we're called to go there because that's where he already is. 
Sometimes like, come to church, come to church. And that's good, but you never come to church to come to church. You come to be those who are going out. And so here's this moment where he finds uh, Matthew at work, a tax collector. And it's extraordinary. He says, follow me. Now you read this and kind of go, okay, what's the big deal? Very big deal when you understand the context. In this time, tax collectors are the low of the low in society. Um, they have a horrible reputation, disreputable. They, no one likes them, and here's why. Their job as employees of the government of Rome is to collect taxes from the people. And they are Jewish people who are employed by Rome to collect taxes from other Jews. What they do, however, when people come to pay their taxes for Rome, because Rome let you keep your culture and they just took your money, and they just kept growing. That's how they conquered. Not a history lesson this morning. My whole point is, guys like Matthew and others, when you would come to pay your taxes, they would examine your stuff, your goods, like going through a toll booth or, or Canada, going through the booth. They examine your stuff, and they would see your stuff and then charge you taxes for that stuff. But it wasn't what Rome was asking for. It's what they were asking for because of their greed, and they pocketed money. Extortion. I don't think that's extortion. What's the right word? Somebody help me who's smart. Exploiting, good. Embellishment, all that. They were stealing, right? Let's go with the basics. <laughs> You're supposed to be charged, collect 25% of your pay. They're taking, everybody, how many are in that bracket? 25%, right? Uncle Sam gets his cut, right? Let's make it plain. How many in a 37% bracket? You know, thir- how many they take an 80% of your, what, whatever. Every, if you're not paying taxes, you're stealing. <laughs> Jesus said, render to Uncle Sam what belongs to Uncle Sam, right? And give to God what belongs to God, right? He wasn't just, oh, he said to give it to Rome. Yes, if it applies to any government of which you are a citizen. So you give to the U.S. what belongs to the U.S. And you give to God what belongs to God. So the tithe belongs to God and the tax belongs to to. Uh, Uncle Sam. Now, Uncle Sam's going to take his. God says, I'm trusting it to be done in faith, so I'm, I'm not going to do a, a, an automatic draft from your payroll. I'm going to let you set that up if you want to do it that way, right? So my whole point is, n- people didn't like Matthew. You <clears throat> Street, let's go street for a second. Dude, what's wrong with you? How are you going to be a Jew stealing from me, your brother Jew, for Rome? We are from the same people, same culture. I don't mind paying my taxes, but you're going to rob me on top of that? See how they feel about tax collectors? So they were upset with tax collectors. So no one, no one, no one would have thought that Jesus would have said to a tax collector, come, follow me. Here's another example. There's a guy named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector. Short guy, heard about Jesus, crowds were gathering. He couldn't see, so he climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see him. Jesus walking by says, Zacchaeus, yeah, come down. We're having dinner at your house. Jesus invites himself to the home of Zacchaeus. Everyone's looking like, does he know? Does he know? He doesn't know. Somebody tell him, Jesus, Jesus, tax collector. We don't talk with him. We don't deal with him. Jesus says, no, has a meal with him. He experiences the unconditional love of God. He sees in Jesus That love, which is for all humanity, that God cherishes you. Everyone in this room, you need to know, God cherishes you. Not as you will be, as you are. He loves you as you are. And not because of anything you do. 
not because of any success or achievement or what you're pursuing. Even if you sinned last night or throughout the week, but you showed up here, he has not changed his mind or his love about cherishing you because God's love for us is not about us. It is his own nature to love. And that nature is unchanging even when it's not reciprocal. We just want to get to the place where we love him as he loves us with all. Aren't you glad that God cherishes you? I can't make it in this world without knowing I'm cherished. And I know my wife and kids cherish me, and I love that, but there's something deeper in me that has to be met, and my wife and kids and a church, and nothing I do in my life satisfies that deepest thing in me to know that I'm loved for Donnell. Not Pastor D, not, not, not uncle, not husband, not daddy, but a son of. My greatest place of security, your greatest place of security is knowing I'm a son of, I'm a daughter of. And then what I do flows out of my sonship or my daughtership rather than my, what I do trying to establish my sonship. That's the prodigal son. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll work to get my daddy's love. Ah, forget that. You're my son. We need to hear that. Every one of us needs to hear that. It's why you getting quiet before God is absolutely essential. Otherwise, you'll run through this life trying to meet that which only is satisfied and found in God. So here he is saying to Matthew, come follow me. Zacchaeus, let's finish that. Zacchaeus responds to the love of God, surrenders his life to follow Jesus, and he says, as a result of repenting, Jesus I'm going to repay four times everything I stole. He wasn't doing that to get saved. He did that because he was saved, because he was changed. Does that make sense? So back to Matthew. Matthew gets so radically impacted that he follows God. And then he throws this amazing big banquet for Jesus. And all the tax collectors come. And it says others. But the reason why it's probably mostly tax collectors, because that's probably the only people they had friendship with. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like we're all stealing from people. We, we all love each other, right? So Jesus said, be careful when you only love those who love you. Discipleship is when you love those who don't love you. So there are others who are there. And then the Pharisees come. Now I want you to see Jesus at the center. Here he is loving this tax collector. Tax collector throws a party. The Pharisees are over here. The teachers of the law over here. The others or sinners are over here. But the sinner is Jesus pulling everyone. He goes to everyone. And here's what's amazing. He goes to people you hate. Jesus loves people you can't stand. I went too fast. Jesus loves those you hate. Can you believe that? And you feel it because when you're walking with him and you see him love somebody you don't, you go, oh, well, Jesus, Jesus. He's like, I came to go for everybody. And the closer you get to him and become more like him, the more you'll actually begin to love those who you don't. Then you're becoming like Christ. I'll say it for you. Amen. Amen. So here's this moment where a party sown and the Pharisees come and they say, why, why, why? Is your teacher eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? They clearly say sinners. The scripture before, the verse before says others. And, and Jesus responds by saying, 
It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Like you, if you ever heard a doctor go, I'm sick of sick people. I just, I'm so sick of it, right? Like you're in the wrong profession, <laughs> right? The whole point in being a doctor is to help people. And Jesus was using an analogy to say the heart of doctors is that they actually care for sick people. They're not as concerned about healthy people. So he says, that's why I'm eating. Why did they struggle with this? And this is a piece I want to give us. What Jesus did, he was establishing, we took communion today. And Chris talked about the new covenant. He was establishing a new way of living. Everyone who was there complaining, the Pharisees and others, he loved them just as much. In fact, there were Pharisees who were one to him, like Nicodemus. He didn't have issues with anybody. But what he was establishing was like a new operating system. When you read on, he talks about a new patch and an old patch, and he talks about or new, a new garment. No one tears a new garment in order to patch an old garment because... The new, the, 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 the new, the patch will shrink and then it'll, it'll be lost, the garment will be messed up, and the new is already torn. He uses another parable. He says, you don't pour new wine into old wineskins because of the fermentation. Old wineskins, that's what, they used goat skins for bottles back in the day. So you take an animal, you clean it out, and it was a skin, and then that become your bottle. So if you were going on a jog, you see somebody running with one of those. They walked all the time. They didn't need to run. So... <laughs> We run because we don't walk. So anyway, if you pour new wine into an old one, it bursts. And so you lose the wine and the skin. So you pour new wine into a new wineskin. What is this language? He was using something that was culturally relevant because we don't use wineskins. We use bottles. But what he was saying is when you take something new and you pour it into something old, you lose both of them. And I'm changing this operating system. You've been living off the law. Pharisees, teach law, the Mosaic law, which says, do this and don't do this and do this and don't do this. So John 1, 17 says, through Moses came the law, but through Jesus came grace and truth. So the new covenant is him establishing a new operating system. And your way of living won't run on my new system unless you are born again. You won't be able to make it. I'm a MacBook Pro guy. I went out and bought those things where you can translate. Some of you don't remember this. Remember VHS? I got a stack of them. So Best Buy's got this thing where you plug into your VHS and your Mac and everything, and then you can transfer it. I'm so excited because I got stuff from when I was 20, and people are like, that is you. It was me. Stop making a big deal out of it. Don't look that different. But maybe I do. Once you shave your head, right, A? You just... So, but when I tried to download it, it said, you have to have Windows. And I don't have windows, so it doesn't work. Now, there's a way around it, bypass, et cetera. But the whole thing is, I was the last in our team of pastors using windows. And when the chime would go off, all the pastors in the room would laugh at me, like, are you still using windows, right? Any windows users in the room? All right, windows, there's still some. That's good. Any Apple? Macro? Yeah, kind of. So when I switched, there's a new operating system. And it gets upgraded. So you can't run the old on the new. It doesn't work. The law, which was good, had some glory. But Jesus, grace and truth, was surpassing glory. And this won't run on this. So if you're not born again spiritually and you're still running on this, you'll be lost over here. You'll still be talking about rules and regulations and laws, and Jesus didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. But he says when sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, because by keeping the law, you can't inherit salvation. 
You can't get salvation by keeping the law. In fact, the law was not given as a roadmap to what you need to do. It was our schoolmaster or tutor to bring us to Christ who established the new. So now you're saved by grace. You could never be saved by the law or the works. This was just to point it out. Paul says, I didn't know trespass, coveting was coveting until the law said, don't covet. But when the law said, don't covet, it didn't make me stop coveting. I actually coveted all the more. Speed limit says 55, you're doing 70. It doesn't make you slow down. The only thing that makes you slow down is whoop-woo. And a week later, you still do it again because it's in our nature. So unless you're in grace, you're going to keep breaking the law. But the good thing about grace is even though you're a lawbreaker, Jesus paid the punishment on the cross. But out of love for him, you want to break it less because love doesn't want to hurt. So you don't do it out of duty. You do it out of devotion. But if you don't know him, you're not devoted. It's just duty. And if it's duty, you won't last. Duty's not enough to keep you. Duty's not enough to keep you. You got to have devotion. So you got to spend time with God. You can't just read your Bible. You got to spend time with him. Like, speak to me. Let me hear you. Get in a small group. Build time. Prayer. Like, I don't know how to do all that stuff. That's fine. None of us do, but we practice. And it's good. So here's what happens then, and, it, and you see him helping them understand why he loves Levi, Matthew, a tax collector, and why he shows up every place he does. And I love that God actually is not a respective person. He actually wants everyone to know him. Is there some people group you don't love? He died for them. I know our nation and the world has all these problems, but it's funny. There's no place Jesus doesn't just step in and say, uh, who here wants to follow me? Isn't that a beautiful thing? So then the church is this beautiful thing. And I want to use a military example. Where are my military people? Raise your hand. Come on, salute the military guys. Come on. We thank you all. The military gets this better. The church is a family, but it's not just a family. We're farmers. We sow and we reap, but we're not just farmers. We're fighters also. So when you think about the military, people come to the church and say, the church is a hospital. Not really. You can get healed by God in this place, emotionally, physically, and other ways. But it's not primarily a hospital. Um, you can get R&R, rest and relaxation, but the church is not a retirement home. Or it's not setting up for retirement, right? Eternity is not about retirement, by the way. It's not some resort in the sky like, oh, now I get to lay on the beach forever. That's not what's going to happen after this life. It's not um, uh, 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 some other things or images that come to mind. The church is one. There's only one church. And there are all these outposts, like in the military. So in the U.S., we have different branches. We have Air Force. We have any Air Force? Where come on, Air Force. Fighter pilot, I like him protecting us flying over the big F1s. Bad brother. Army, come on. The Army, Marines, yell out what I missed. Navy, come on, Navy. Navy SEALs, some bad brothers. So with, with, the, with the Army, they have forts. With the Air Force, they have bases. There's not just one base. The, what's the base here that you're a part of? Andrews. 
my brother-in-law was in Alaska, Anchorage. He was at Elmendorf. But they're part of the same military, even though one's in Alaska and one's here. So it almost, whatever local one you're a part of, it's not the only one. There are bases all over the world. There are bases in China. There are bases in Europe. There are bases in Africa. So you are part of a worldwide movement that's on mission going with God. And when you get recruited, as they tried to do me right after high school, but mom said, no, she wasn't going to let it happen. Um, but when you get recruited, you, get, you go through basic training. Every person has the same basic training. It doesn't matter if you're going to end up being a pilot. It doesn't matter if you're going to be in the kitchen. Every part is vital. But every single person gets basic training. So in our church, basic training is a little book called one-to-one. So everybody needs to go through the one-to-one because you need to go somewhere. And you get to go now. It's not about becoming a pastor, becoming this. or this. It's like this is, no one sits there and goes, I want to be that. No, it's we're all on mission to go out. And we get deployed on these missions and we come back to the base. And we get deployed on missions. And we want to be going where God is going in the world. So here locally in D.C., we have go moments every what? Every month? How often, Mariah, Simi? Once a month. So once a month, there are people in this church who actually go on a mission. Where was the last mission? Today. Oh, it's today. You can go today. <laughs> where are you going? Oh, you went. <laughs> We're going on. I'm, I'm one of the commanders here, and I don't even know where all the missions are because we delegate things out to make sure others know what's happening. But I know we're going. So if you miss the moment to go on mission, you can go next month. And guess what? If you're here, you don't have to be skilled because you're going with those who are. They'll make sure your parachute is right when you jump out. Some of you are thinking, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do when I get out there. So go with those who've been doing it for a while. That's what they do. They put you next to people who have some skill. They'll let you jump in tandem. You don't have to jump out the plane by yourself. Some of us go, oh, how do I make a disciple? Oh, I think I need to open my Bible. Okay, hold on. Our church said I'm on mission. I'm shaking in my boots, but I'm a military. Uh, You shouldn't be afraid. First of all, you're in uniform. You're part of something much larger than you. And you got basic skills, so you're good. And you don't have to go, do I open my Bible? Do I do this? Do I do this? It's, It's not all that. The woman at the well, she met Jesus, dropped her pot, Chris preached this a couple of weeks ago, and went on mission right there. Her, her theology wasn't even right. She was arguing with Jesus about, well, y'all say you should worship over there, but we say we should worship over here. I don't know what's what. Jesus like, I'm going to recruit you right now. And she is impacted, gives her life to God, drops what she's doing, goes and influences half her city. What if God influenced one person in your workplace? Just one. I promise you the first one who gets influenced by you, it becomes contagious. So that your work, your nine to five, for which you were employed, is no longer disconnected from your work to which you were called. And when those two are married, you're living the life. If you're only doing this job, you're earning money. But if you're doing this job, you're pleasing your commanding officer. And this one's temporal. This one has eternal reward. Because it's lives changed forever, which can be done through your job, done on the campus, done where you are. So this week, here's the assignment. Everybody's going on mission. You don't have to wait till next month. Wherever you're going to be this week, ask God, show me where you're on mission right here this week. 
so I can go with you. And then when a conversation happens and you realize, oh, I'm in the middle of it. We were just talking about this thing. But they said something that opened the door for me to talk about their life and to introduce them to the one that they will ultimately follow. Amen? Great. Chris. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovdc.org.